So with Palm Sunday today, we begin Holy Week. Holy Week, uh, we are going to be uh, looking forward to Easter, specifically having online services that you can participate in, both for Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. Maundy Thursday, M-A-U-N-D-Y, Thursday and Good Friday. Uh, If you want a little preview to what that's about, it's very simple. Just go to Wikipedia and read the articles. They're actually very good and very clear. We have kind of a little uh, uh, parts for different people in the service to read and gathering. And we had a great time doing that online last year and look forward to it this year. And very excited for our Easter service once again that we are doing live and in person, yet still streaming. Best of both worlds. And I'm very excited uh, to be talking about Christ's conspiracy of kindness and justice through uh, his death and resurrection on the cross this Easter. So we look forward there. Uh, We will be posting links in these comments on our webpage, Facebook, and through email to both Zoom links to both meetings. So be sure to come 7 o'clock Wednesday, or excuse me, 7 o'clock Thursday and 7 o'clock Friday. God bless you guys. Well, it's Palm Sunday, and if we were meeting together, we would probably have a parade of children with palms uh, going through the aisles as we were singing Hosanna in the Highest or something like that. And I greatly look forward to doing that next year. But uh, for this year, we just want to have a short rumination on Palm Sunday. Um that I think is very appropriate for our time right now. Uh, Palm Sunday is when we celebrate uh, what is often called Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, Up until this point, Jesus had uh, uh, taught amazing things and performed amazing uh, miracles, but He'd often tried to hush things, or he'd heal someone, tell them to kind of keep it a secret. People would uh, want to declare him as king, and he would exit out the side door type of deal. Uh, Theologians have called that the messianic secret, Jesus downplaying uh, what he did. And this shifts, this represents a massive shift in strategy that when Jesus uh, came into Jerusalem, he did it with some very peculiar pomp and circumstance that was meant to counter the uh, prevailing narratives of not only that day, but our day today. So Jesus is coming to Jerusalem during Passover. At this point, Passover is celebrating uh, the setting free of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. Yet at this time, the Jewish people are celebrating Passover while being occupied by the Roman Empire, Roman soldiers specifically being treated as a slave nation to Rome, and they're having their celebration of freedom. So Rome uh, uh, dispatched uh, Pilate, who was the governor of the region, to Jerusalem to kind of keep this peace because there was always this ever-present fear that the Roman Empire would be uh, inconvenienced because Uh, the Jewish people would revolt. And if revolution was going to happen, it would happen around Passover. So Pilate uh, would have rolled into Jerusalem uh, on his horses, surrounded by a military garrison with uh, a lot of pomp and circumstances, and pretty much shock and awe that would remind the children of Israel 
not to mess with Rome. What would have been probably around the same time that Pilate was coming to Jerusalem, Jesus entered Jerusalem. But he did it quite differently. And that's uh, what we celebrate at Palm Sunday. So I'm going to read the passage and I want to share with you why I think this is directly relevant to how you and I conduct ourselves in the United States of America in March, April of 2021. But first I'll pray. Uh, Father God, I ask you would bless the reading of your word and I pray you would be present to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is Luke chapter 19, uh, 28 through 40, and it says this. He went ahead going to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the uh, miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So we have Jesus not hushing people, but explaining to them that my people are not going to shut up. Now, this action is such a multidimensional action. Uh, this action represents a disruption to how the world normally functions. Every The world is ruled by empires under many different names, and empires maintain power by force and fear. It is the power of any uh, government to enforce their laws through threats of either violence, execution, or imprisonment, or a financial penalty. There is some way a government can uh, induce or inflict some adverse circumstance on a person or people to keep them in line. That's empire. And periodically, uh, the governing body has to demonstrate that they have the power to do what they claim to do. And that's why whether it's uh, former US presidents or uh, the leaders of uh, North Korea or other nations have military parades where they roll out the tanks or their arsenal, real or pretend, in order to uh, kind of flex for the nation, their nation as well as the nations of the world. This is the way the world has functioned as long as people were organized into tribes. And Jesus enters being declared a king, which this is pretty scary stuff because it's Jerusalem, Passover time, 
the time of rebellion, the time if it's going to blow up, if Jerusalem, the powder keg of Israel under Roman rule is going to blow up, it's going to happen during Passover. And Jesus is entering and he's being called king. And they're, they're recognize him, recognizing Jesus like a, profession, a procession of recognizing a conquering king coming to inspect his new land. But Jesus is coming not just on a donkey, but a baby donkey. This is a ridiculous image. Pilate would have come, up, come into the city on a horse with a garrison of soldiers. Jesus comes with his ragtag bag of disciples, ragtag band of misfits, on not just a donkey, an agricultural animal, but a baby donkey. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Tommy Boy with the late, great Chris Farley, but there's that scene where uh, he's putting on his colleague's jacket and he's going on, you know, fat man with a little coat and he's putting on this coat to try to induce laughter and the coat tears. And there's generally throughout uh, the history of comedy across cultures, the idea of two things being pushed together that don't fit has always been found to be comical. The idea of this uh, enormous man with a tiny coat induces laughter. And there is a sense of ridiculous at this person called King, this famous public figure and influencer coming in on a baby donkey. It's, uh, I remember in the late 70s in the Guinness Book of World Records had this article about uh, the two uh, heaviest twins in the world. And these twins would often make public appearances riding motorcycles together. And uh, you basically have these, uh, they were about 740 pounds each riding these tiny motorcycles. And it was done for comic effect because you had two things mashed together that did not fit. In this picture of Jesus, one way of destabilizing patterns that are harmful or don't work is in injecting something absurd into the system. So at one level, there was an absurdity, the level of humility of a conquering savior coming in on a young donkey. It, it should be smile and laughter inducing. And that did nothing to dissuade the people from declaring him as king. Notably, a king that was not installed by the Caesar. Jesus did not get in trouble with Rome because he claimed to be God. Within the Roman Empire, Caesar was a god. There were many other gods. You could have any god you want. When Paul was preaching in Athens, there was a plethora of different temples, including a shrine to the unknown god. There was no issue. You could start your own god franchise if you wanted. No one really cared because the gods unless it was Caesar, did not have an effect on your loyalty or fear of the empire. What God Jesus killed was that he was disrupting the powers because he allowed himself to be declared king, and he called himself a king. And that had political ramifications because by calling himself king, Jesus says, to be loyal to me is to not put loyalty to any other nation or leader above me. Jesus's claim to be king is saying all patriotism is due me. I am your chief loyalty. 
you celebrate your independence in being my child, not being a member of any other nation. Now, that doesn't mean we can't uh, root for our team and that we can't be grateful for uh, the benefits our nations provide us. But when it comes to fealty and loyalty, only Jesus deserves it. And the Jesus that comes asserts his power through humility. And throughout the scriptures, we always have violent imagery subverted by the love of Christ. We have uh, the judgment of God talked about over and over. And the judgment of God ends up being the sacrifice of Jesus. All the violent imagery is visited not upon the enemies of God, but the enemies of God visit that violence on Jesus as he's saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that Jesus gives us an end, an eventual end to all violence, domination, and abuse. Jesus provides, sets the ball in motion for uh, he's going to get killed for this. They're going to torture him for asserting this power. When uh, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responds rather snarkily and goes, well, you've said it. You said it. I didn't. Jesus does nothing to exonerate himself. He plays into their hands. He's essentially saying, yes, I am the man. I am that guy. Jesus asserts his power and then surrenders himself to death. He does not strike his enemy down, enemies down with lightning. He doesn't assert the liberty he has to engage in violence to prevent, protect himself. In fact, he promises his disciples that if you follow me, you will suffer as well. We live in a nation that is obsessed with safety and personal liberty where uh, people in the name of Christ will assert their right to hurt others to preserve their liberty. Yet we have Jesus that says, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. When he is approached by the Roman legionnaires, he goes with them. But in the end, Jesus comes back. And next week, we're celebrating Easter. We're celebrating that death was not the end of Jesus. And the followers of Jesus, while not promised a peaceful end to this life, are promised a, an eternal life to follow. In the direct ramification of that for the early church is the early church loved their enemies. Before Constantine uh, made Christianity the, the official religion of the Roman Empire, even though, by the way, Constantine refused to be baptized till he was on his deathbed, I believe because he recognized that to be baptized meant to embrace the love of enemies when he was a military leader who led campaigns to kill his enemies. So even Constantine, in trying to corrupt Christianity, making this Christian empire of this world, knew that you couldn't mix the faith in his role as Caesar. So Jesus, essentially, in coming in on the donkey, comes in in a tool of a, an agrarian tool, a pack animal, not a military tool, a horse. The Pharisees are worried because the Pharisees have essentially gotten in bed 
with Rome. The Pharisees are able to exert authority over their people, and they've compromised their faith by being in league with Rome. Essentially, the religious leaders curried favor with Pilate and Herod, and by proxy Caesar, that the, the, the religious leaders of that day were uh, accommodated the powers of that day so they could have power and convenience. And as long as they kept their people in line with the politics of that day, then they had power themselves. The same way we've seen churches in many countries, including ours, in, in so-called religious leaders, accommodate uh, rulers who are not demonstrators of the ethics in the rule in the love of Christ. This idea of religious leaders of any faith selling out for power is as old as empire. And we see it repeated as a cycle over and over. And that's why the Pharisees in this passage try to shut Jesus up. And he says, nothing can stop this message. Not only am I not going to play it cool, but the very nature of things is going to shout, my counter kingdom. Understand, Jesus is Lord, or Lord Jesus, or King Jesus, wasn't just an appellation to his name. To say Jesus was king implicitly said Caesar was not. And to confess the truth of Jesus technically would have been a capital crime in the Roman Empire. Interestingly enough, you, we find out about the Roman Empire by studying history. And most people don't study history. Most people in the world can't name two Caesars. But the majority of the world's population knows the name of Jesus. So we know the empire failed and the love continued. And I believe, and we'll talk about this next week, that we would not be talking about this today. There's been countless religions that come and go. I think the only explanation for the staying power of the message that Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, is because empire tried to murder him. He died and came back to life. Now we know us followers of Jesus know this is crazy. This is a claim. This is a paranormal claim. Yet we also know that people of different cultural backgrounds, different educational levels, uh, different previous political affiliations united on one thing. We saw him killed. We saw him alive. And we're willing to lay down our lives rather than denounce the fact that we saw him personally. And that ended up being thousands of people who were willing to die rather than stop telling the story that evil was defeated by Jesus. And I believe right now the story of Jesus, whether people have heard of him or not, the story of Jesus bringing true relationship into the world, unconditional love into the world. This idea that every human is intrinsically precious and every life is valuable and everyone is worthy of forgiveness because he says so. This thirst we have for real relationship, this thirst we have for beauty in creation, this thirst we have for transcendent experience as humans is answered in the person of Jesus 
and vindicated in his resurrection. So when Jesus comes to town, he doesn't come loaded with tanks, guns, and horses. He comes on an agrarian animal ready to grow new life in our lives. So that's the Jesus we follow.